Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Who are you, and why does your life matter? These two piercing questions get to the heart of your identity. Our society in the West has increasingly embraced an internally discovered identity on the basis of individual passions. Such expressive individualism is exciting to live out, especially if those around you push back. However, the resulting identity is both fragile and abrasive. In contrast, the Christian identity begins with a surrender and an acceptance of who God says you are. This received identity is both more durable and more loving. And that is what we'll look at today. Here now is episode 398, Why Christianity, Part 11, Christian Identity, with Jerry Werewolf. Now, we're going to talk about identity in general first, and then we're going to talk about the way that the Christian worldview, the Christian meta-narrative, has a specific way to understand identity and how the Christian faith, uh, as I'm going to argue for, offers a superior understanding of personal identity. So when we talk about identity, we're basically talking about answering the question, who am I? Now, when somebody asks you, who, who are you? What's the typical response? Your name. Now, when we greet one another, what do we typically ask each other? If you're, if you're meeting somebody new, you're like, oh, well, what do you do? Yeah, we, we find these identifiers uh, that help communicate to one another who we are. And by and large, in, in our culture, a lot of times we express ourselves by our personal name and by our occupation. We tell somebody, what we do, what's our employment, or what's our, our job or skill set. You know, we're a, I'm a plumber, I'm a carpenter, I'm an electrician, I'm a computer programmer, I'm a musician, uh, I'm a certified public accountant. You know, I'm, uh, there's, there's endless different occupations. And, and they're all part of, of our identity. There's something that tells us, tells people things about us. But our identity goes much deeper. And I want to break it into two different things that basically compose what personal identity is all about. The first thing is called a sense of self, like a self-understanding. When somebody asks who you are and you're going to tell them something about yourself, if you get down to it, what defines actually yourself? What, what is the actual understanding of this is at my very core what defines me? This is basically how I would represent my existence in this world by whatever this answer is, whatever this sense of myself, the not myself, but my personal self. The second thing is what is your value? In our identity, it's not just an identifier of this is basically how I describe my existence, but it's now what, what meaning do I have, what worth 
What do I offer the world? How, how do I actually affect my environment? So, sense of self, self-worth. These are the two components, basically, of personal identity. In our culture, we, we kind of have a very strong sense of individualism as a way for us to identify ourselves. We look to individualism, which individualism is a, a particular word. Maybe it's best uh, described by a guy named um, Yuval Levin. And uh, he wrote a book called The Fractured Republic. And I think he captures a pretty good sense of what individualism is. This is what he writes. That term, individualism, suggests not only a desire to pursue one's own path, but also a yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's own identity. It is a drive both to be more like whatever you already are and also to live in society by fully asserting who you are. The capacity of individuals to define the terms of their own existence by defining their personal identities is increasingly equated with liberty and with the meaning of some of our basic rights, and it is given pride of place in our self-understanding. Now, what Levin is trying to say is that individualism is basically an inner desire to want to express yourself, who you are, and to basically discover who you are and then let that be your identity. More like an introspective sort of searching for identity. You look within yourself and you look to be like, well, who am I inside? And then you look to live out that personal identity in the world and let people know who you are. And he's saying that this is, in a sense, equated with liberty. So to basically be who you are is a way of saying you're free. You have freedom to express yourself and to live the way you want to live. There's another writer who has talked about this, and he's a philosopher, Charles Taylor. And there's a phrase that maybe you guys have come across before. It's the age of authenticity. Now, the age of authenticity, we might misunderstand it because he has a particular slant. Uh, he doesn't mean uh, the way that authenticity would be as opposed to hypocrisy, so like maybe acting authentically versus acting falsely. No, actually, as we're going to read here, he has authenticity as the opposite of conformity. This is what he writes. I mean, in referring to the age of authenticity, the understanding of life which emerges with the romantic expressivism of the late 18th century, that each of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity, and that it is important to find and live out one's own, as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by a society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. So in the idea of individualism, to actually be authentic would be to not necessarily come under a model 
of society or to conform to some sort of external framework. It's actually, no, it's to break free and to just live in your own sphere. It's to actually be your own person, irrespective of whatever else is going on, whatever other connections you might have, whatever other societal norms might exist. It's for you to be distinct, to be sort of isolated from all that, and for you to then live authentically as who you are inside. Now, you guys will see that in our culture, this type of theme is is really prevalent. And you might find it uh, shocking, maybe not, but it comes up a lot in children's movies. Recent children's movies in the last decade or so. One of them um, being the famous movie Frozen. Now, in Frozen, the theme song of the movie has some startling lyrics that go hand in hand with the idea of individualism. Now, if you're thinking that I might serenade you with some of the lyrics of this song, today's not your lucky day. (laughs) But in the the song Frozen here, you know, it goes, let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore, let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. And then it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. This is individualism at its core. If you guys remember in the movie, if you've seen it, she's walking off going to basically go into isolation, to build her own castle to live in where nobody can tell her what to do, where nobody can oppress her, where she won't be shunned, where she can be who she wants to be. And that's where we get some of our catchphrases for individualism. You be you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. Individualism says that you look inside, you find who you want to be, and then you then match that with the external world and tell them what they need to, how they need to look at you. Now that's our current modern Western way of understanding identity. And Tim Keller, uh, in his book, Making Sense of God, he breaks down the problems with this way of uh, understanding identity into four quadrants. I just want to briefly review them here because I think they're helpful. The first one is that modern way of understanding identity is incoherent. And the reason why is that if you look for yourself and your identity, if you look within at your heart, well, what do you expect to find? You expect to find things that you desire, right? You expect, design, you expect to find certain passions or longings. But the problem is, is that our desires actually don't all fit together. We have contradictory desires in our heart. And the other thing would be, well, which one of those desires is actually the real you? Which part of your heart, which part of those things that you long for and yearn and desire, well, which, which one of those actually defines you? Is it you love? Is it that you have ambition? Is it that you're a dreamer? What, what, which one is you? You can't choose one because they're all mixed together. 
And when you think you have one, you'll realize, oh no, there's another one that I really think is me. Oh no, actually, really, I think now this is me. There's no place to land. Is one of these desires more deeper and core or central to who you are than another? There's a quote I want to read for you here by Francis Spooford. He writes, a being whose wants make no sense. That's who we are. Don't harmonize whose desires deep down are discordantly arranged so that you truly want to possess and you truly want not to at the very same time. You're equipped for farce or even tragedy more than you are for happy endings. If we looked inside ourselves, we'd realize that our desires actually are all mixed up and that we could never really make sense of life. And the famous psychologist Sigmund Freud tried to explain that our inner desires actually have a coherence to them by trying to define we have an, an id, which is our internal instincts, our deep down desires, but then we have an ego that tries to pair them with reality, and then we have a superego which then tries to tell our ego how to moderate and mediate our inner desires so that we don't act out of accordance with society, that we take these values and norms that we've learned and then try to tame our desires so that we don't uh, express them in ways that are inappropriate. But our superego and our ego and our id and these ways that Sigmund Freud tried to explain who we are was his way of trying to tell us that we can find our identity deep down inside. But that's not the way we can find it. The prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitfully wicked. That there is no way to see inside ourselves who we truly are. We can't find a grounding there. The second thing is that if we look at modern form of identity, it's illusory. The reason is, is because when we think we have found it, it shifts. For example, if you base uh, who you are on society, for example, in America or over in Europe or something like that, that when you change locations then, well, then your identity will change because not every society values the same things. Not every society looks at relationships the exact same way. And so if you're looking to try to find yourself in the world, you're going to end up having to change depending upon your uh, social context. Also, the uh, modern identity is crushing. And this is because if you base your identity on whether or not another person accepts you or another person is okay with you, when that person is not okay with you. When you disrupt that relationship, it disrupts your identity. And so therefore, you will never want to disrupt the relationship because you found yourself on making sure that that identity remains strong. Same thing with career. If you look at your career as being how you identify yourself, and then you have a problem at your job, you will then have a problem with your identity. All of these different variables will affect who you are. You will never have stability. And that's why trying to have an identity based upon individualism is crushing. And finally, it's fracturing. This is particularly true with relationships, that if you are looking for self-realization as the way to identify who you are, and if you want to be who you are, be you, find yourself, follow your heart, well then when you have a relationship or a job that then comes into conflict 
with those ideals, it is no longer something that meshes with yourself. And then you will discard it and find something new. You will keep on replacing things in your life until you try to come to find something that agrees with who you are. But if you're always changing who you are, then you will never find a place that fits. You will just be forever. You wouldn't be in a, you'll be in a continuous cycle forever. And that's why it's fracturing, is because you can never find something that's cohesive and whole and holds together. The idea of trying to find your identity by linking together all these different things, looking inside yourself, looking at how you relate to other people in the world, it doesn't work. The modern sense of identity fails. The source of Christian identity, though, is not found by looking within your heart, looking within yourself. It's not found by who you're with not found by who you work for, what you do. So it's not outward. It's not inward. Rather, it's upward. We have an identity that is given to us. And that's different from the way that the modern people, that the modern concept of an identity works. That an identity is given to you externally. You know, think about the famous verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved us. God loved the world and acted upon it. We are recipients of that. So I want to talk about the way that God gives us our identity and how that form of understanding identity is secure stable, and never-changing. There's a movie that I saw one time called Unbreakable. And Unbreakable is a story about a guy named David Dunn, played by actor Bruce Willis. And he's a guy who goes through life, and he, he never gets sick. And one day, he gets in this terrible train accident, and everybody on the train dies. Total, complete disaster. Except David. He walks away from this terrible train wreck without a scratch on him. And he doesn't know why. He's perplexed by it. There's another character who's kind of like a, um, his antagonist, uh, played by Samuel L. Jackson, a character called Elijah Prince. And he's an individual who actually suffers from a very rare disease uh, where his bones are extremely brittle and soft, and they break easily. And actually, his arms and legs were broken at birth when he uh, came out of the womb. And so he, he kind of like figures the opposite of uh, what uh, David Dunn does, where he is this like impervious individual who can't be hurt. And uh, David doesn't understand his own identity. He goes around life very uh, miserable and perplexed, and he is trying to understand why he's not hurt when everybody else gets hurt, why he's never sick when everybody else gets sick, and why he seems to be stronger than he ever realized. And as the movie progresses, David begins to discover these things about himself. And he wonders why he's not happy. And he doesn't know what he's supposed to do in life until he starts using his ability to help people. And then he realizes that he's actually supposed to be a superhero. 
He's supposed to use his abilities to actually produce meaning. And I think what's great about this movie and the way it relates to personal identity is that I think the way that Bruce Willis, as David Dunn, began to realize that he had something that he was unbreakable. There was something so, he was so strong and, there, and he had this power where nothing could hurt him. That's kind of like Christian identity where we don't, we don't have to look to the world to provide answers for who we are. We don't have to worry about the next relationship not working out and then we're devastated because now we don't know who we are because we put all of our hope in something like another person's expectations of us or their approval and affection toward us. Christian identity comes from God and God is a, is a person who never changes. God is not one to turn his back on us. It says in Hebrews 13, 5, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Christian identity is unbreakable. And that's where we can put our trust and hope. That's where we can find who we are truly. With God and him giving us our identity, it stems from his own character. Not only does God give us his unconditional love, not only does he promise to be there all the time, he's faithful. He's always faithful. He never changes. His immutability, his unchangeableness, that we can, can, we can have confidence knowing that he's not going to one day say, you are my child, and then the next day say, oh, actually, I adopted somebody else, and now you can go find another family. <laughs> we're, not, we're not swapped out. We're not the latest and greatest. God loves us. God loves you. God loves you. Your identity comes from what God has bestowed upon you, his never-ending affection. Even when you displease him, he still loves you. See, in James it says that there's no shadow of turning. That means there's no shadow cause because he changes how he looks at you. Christian identity is so secure and so stable because we can know who we are. God has told us who we are. We are forgiven. We are accepted. We are blessed. We are the Lord's. We've been delivered. We've been set free. We've been chosen. We are a temple of God. We are his child. We are a light of the world. We are no longer slaves. We've been redeemed. We are alive in Christ. There's so many things that God has done for us and has told us who we are, that we can trust him and know that there is nothing that can separate us from his love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's Christian identity, that we don't have to look at ourselves we don't have to look around us. We don't have to try to pick up pieces of this world by which we can then hold together who we are. We can just stand before God and say, thank you. Thank you for being my father. Thank you for calling me to a family. Thank you that I know who I am. Well, that draws this episode, part 11, to an end on Christian identity. If you'd like to leave a comment or ask a question, come on to restitutio.org. Find number 398.
Why Christianity Part 11? And leave your comment there. Identity is one of these really important and yet very under-talked-about issues facing postmodern people, facing many of those who have turned away from their faith and are now in an effort to create their own sense of value, their own sense of identity. A lot of times that results in an identity that's countercultural with respect to what they grew up with, but very much along with the culture of their peer group. And uh, so you really do have to question yourselves there. And that's what's so great about the Christian identity is that we have scriptures which are thousands of years old and written over a long period of time. They're not as susceptible to the various waves of societal concerns that come and go like foam on the sea. I would encourage you, if you're interested in more on this subject, to pick up Tim Keller's book, Making Sense of God. I found that book to be incredibly insightful at understanding not only what your average unbeliever thinks about who they are and their point of their life and how they they operate, but also what the flaws are, what the problems are with, with the secular mindset, and how Christianity is able to provide such a robust and durable sense of who you are. So uh, take a look at that if you're interested in further research on this subject. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do that at restitutio.org. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.